Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And ministry of Moses. And we've been walking with Moses as he's been leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. We've observed the plagues. We stood beside and watched the Red Sea part. We saw the people go to the other side. And then we saw the people just three days after one of the greatest miracles in all of history begin to complain. Only three days after the most wonderful thing. Three days and they began to complain. And so they were corrected for their complaining. And now we come to the next chapter. And let's see if they've learned their lesson. Let's see if they've responded to God properly. Well look with me if you don't mind in Exodus chapter number 16. And notice with me in verse number 1. Exodus chapter 16 in verse 1. The Bible says this. And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And on the fifteenth day of the second month, after the departing out of the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God... We had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the flesh pots. And when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness. To kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then said the Lord unto Moses. Behold I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day. That I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no and it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily and Moses and Aaron said unto the children of Israel at even then ye shall know that the Lord had brought you out from the land of Egypt and in the morning then ye shall see the glory of the Lord for he heareth your murmurings against the Lord and what are we that you murmur against us and Moses said this shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat and in the morning bread to the full for that the Lord heareth your murmurings which ye murmur against him and what are we your murmurings are not against us but against the Lord and Moses spake to Aaron and said unto all the congregation of the children of Israel come near before the Lord for he hath heard your murmurings and it came to pass as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness and behold the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. Speak unto them, saying, At even, 
ye shall eat flesh, and in the morning ye shall be filled with bread, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. And it came to pass that at even the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay round about the host. And when the dew that lay was gone, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing. As small as the hoar frost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. And this is, this is the thing which the Lord had commanded. Gather it every man according to his eating. An omer for every man, according to the number of your persons. Take ye every man for them which are in his tents. And the children of Israel did so, and gathered some more, some less. And when they did meet it with an omer, he that gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. And they gathered every man according to his eating. And Moses said, Let no man leave of it till the morning. Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses, and some of them left it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was wroth with them. And they gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating, and when the sun waxed hot, it melted. And it came to pass that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for one man, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. And he said unto them, This is that which the Lord has said, Tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which ye break today, and seethe that ye will seethe, and that which remaineth lay up over for you to be kept unto the morning. And they laid it up until the morning, and as Moses bade, and it did not stink, neither was any worm therein. And Moses said, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath unto the Lord. Today ye shall not find it in the field. Six days shall you gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, in it there shall be none. And it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day to gather, and they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for that the Lord hath given you the Sabbath. Therefore he giveth you on the sixth day the bread of two days. Abide ye every man in his place. Let no man go without of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. And the house of Israel called the name thereof manna. And it was like a corridor seed, white. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord commandeth. Fill an omer of it to be kept for your generations. And they may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness. And when I brought you forth out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a pot and put an omer full of manna therein. And lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel did eat manna forty years until they came into a land inhabited. They did eat manna until they came into the borders of the land of Canaan. Now an omer 
is a tenth part of an ephah. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Exodus in chapter number 16? The book of Exodus, chapter number 16, and notice with me verse 7, and then again it repeats the same idea in verse 8. But notice this, your murmurings against the Lord in verse 7. Your murmurings against the Lord. And verse number 8, it breaks up the phrase. It says, your murmurings are against the Lord. Your murmurings are against the Lord. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And because you are so wonderful, because you're always good, because you're always right, Lord, we need to ha watch what we say and how we say things because our words reflect what we think of you. Help us to understand this as we go through this passage here, that most of all, that we would see what a wonderful God we serve. Second of all, that we would watch our tongue and that we could use it to be a help and a blessing to others rather than <coughs> use it to chase people away from you. In Jesus' name, once again, I ask that you fill me with your Holy Spirit. Settle me down inside of your will, what you would have me to say. I can trust you. I cannot trust myself. So fill me with your precious spirit. And you get your own work accomplished tonight through your precious word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this passage is going to be a foundational passage for the rest of the Pentateuch. This passage here lays down what God is going to do to take care of his people. So much so that it's only going to be mentioned as a in the background for the rest of the time, yet this is a miracle that is going to be done for 40 years as God supplied for his people. Now, as we go here, we can see the main principle that God is getting across here, and that's the first thing I'd like to show you. The principle of murmuring. The principle of murmuring. What is the principle of murmuring, by the way? All complaints stay that God has not been good to me. What is the principle of murmuring? Your complaining states, God has not been good to me. You understand, the sin of complaining is an awful, horrible sin. And by the way, it is one of the acceptable sins of the church. We know that there are two main acceptable sins of the church. One is gossip. Gossip people allow it, but yet it's such a horrible, awful, rotten sin. I don't want to go chase that rabbit too far, but do you know that God equivalates gossip to murder? That's how bad God hates it. Because it's character assassination. It puts a, a wrong view of someone inside of your mind. God hates gossip, and yet most churches are filled with gossip. But you want to know the other acceptable sin that every church is filled with, every service Gathered around a coffee pot, complaining, complaining. And the principle of murmuring is that complaining states that God has not been good to me. With that, let's examine this passage. That's the first thing I wanted to show you here was the principle of murmuring. Now, I want you to think about this generation this group of people, this group of people within the last several months have witnessed God show 
up. I mean, think about the miracles they saw. They saw the, the Nile River turn into blood. They watched a plethora of frogs plague the people. They watched a darkness go upon Egypt so thick that you couldn't see your hand in front of it. Yet they're standing in Goshen with sunshine and rainbows. They have watched as God destroyed Egypt and he protected them. Imagine what that would be like. Wouldn't you think after all this time those people would say, you know what, I think God is real. I mean, the Egyptians, as they watched the Red Sea fall on them, they were saying, this God's real. But the people, they witnessed it. They witnessed the Red Sea open up. Imagine, I mean, all we could do is use our imagination. All we could do is Hollywood special effects. But to witness the Red Sea open up, to make it so two and a half million people can cross overnight, to see the walls of this great sea, to see God holding it open. Amazing. They watched as God had taken a body of water that was so bitter and so nasty that no one could drink it and just put in a tree branch and all of a sudden two and a half million people could drink from it. They have witnessed so much evidence that God is real. But yet, they act like their God is is not real. Notice as it goes on. It gives us the locations of their traveling. And remember that God has been leading them through the wilderness with a pillar of smoke during the day and a pillar of fire at night. If you ever wanted to say, well, I don't know if God's with me, just look out your window. There he is. God's presence is there in the midst of them leading them through the wilderness. You had a visible representation of God all the time. And so they've been led for a time. And it has only been a month. Verse number one speaks about this, that it's on the 15th day of the second month. Remember what happened on the 15th day of the first month? That was the Passover. So it's only been a month since God had killed the firstborn. It's been a month since during that time within a month that they've crossed the Red Sea. That God has given them the waters. It's only been a month. And now the food that they had taken from Egypt is gone. I mean, you got two and a half million people. They eat. You can imagine how many of them are teenagers. They'd be out of food no time. And so two and a half million people are traveling. God is with them. They're starting to run out of food. And they begin to complain. Notice with me in verse 3. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the fool. For you've brought us forth to the wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. He says, at least in Egypt, we had food. How cruel of a God. How horrible of a God it is to send us out here that we're going to starve. That doesn't make sense to everything that they saw. Why in the world would God waste so much time and energy to destroy Egypt to let them die? Why in the world would God... Deliver them through the Red Sea to allow them to die. And why in the world, after God has saved you, can you still say that God's not good to me? 
God's proven himself. If you know Jesus Christ, your personal savior, God's proven himself. He did a miracle. He saved your old wretched soul and he saved mine. He's proven himself. He's answered prayers for you. Why do we have to go, why doesn't God love me enough to give me $5.45? Where am I going to get it? It doesn't make sense. By the way, that's Romans 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 32, where it talks about that he loved you so much, he will also give you the things you need in your time of need. God will say so he loves you. He proves you. But yet, by our own complaining, why is this going wrong? Where am I going to get the money? How is this going to work out? Why, God, why? And that's what we sound like. How come, God, why didn't you give me matching shoes? God, why did you only allow me to have ten pair of shoes? I need one more. Right? I mean, you listen to Americans complain. What in the world do we have complain about? Why do I have to have school lunch day after day after day? By the way, I'm teaching myself, are you one of those people that hate eating the same food over and over and over again? I'm one of them. And I'm a big complainer on that. Man, we had pot roast for seven Sundays in a row with potatoes that are just so beautifully mushy. And they're ready to eat and the meat's so tender. And why do we have to have it seven days in a row? I We act like it's the worst thing that's ever happened. How dare God allow me to have pot roast? You know how pathetic our complaints really are? I mean, us, we have no excuse to land of plenty. Why do I have to have Burger King? I could have had five guys. That's our complaint. We are big complainers. I mean, it's not like it was in your college days when you're eating Roman noodle soup just to stay alive. I knew a guy who was eating toothpaste sandwiches because it's all he had. I mean, most of you are doing better than toothpaste sandwiches. And if you are at toothpaste sandwiches stage, let me know and I want to get you some groceries, all right? I mean, God's glad to hook you up, but most of us are not at that place. And we still find something to complain about. I mean, theirs is a little bit more legitimate. They're out of groceries. The cupboards are bare. There is no Walmart. There's no McDonald's. I'm, kids, there's no Burger King in those days. There's no Denny's. There's no takeout. There's no internet. And there's, they're surviving. And God's taking care of them. But here, they make this big complaint. God, you sent us all the way out here to kill us. And that doesn't even make sense. Why? God has shown he's loved these people over and over. And they're complaining like it's the end of the world. Verse number four. Then the Lord said, Then said the Lord unto Moses, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them, whether they walk in my law or no. So the people complain, 
And they start complaining against Moses and Aaron. It's their fault. They're the ones who led us. But you know what God points out? Verse number 8. And Moses said, This shall be that the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and the morning bread to eat to the full. For the Lord heareth your murmurings, which you murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. When these people started to complain against the preacher, God says, listen, you're not complaining against the preacher. You're complaining against the God who's leading them. Your complainings are against God. That's who your problem is with. It's not with the preacher. It's with God. They're just obeying what God has given them to do. When you complain against any of biblical authority. All right. Here we go. You ready? Why does the teacher give me homework? Your complaints are not against the teacher. They're against the Lord. When you complain against that teacher, you're complaining against God. Why isn't God good to me? God, you should understand, I don't deserve homework. Why did you assign the teacher to give me homework? Your complaints are not against the authority. Your complaints against the Lord. How dare my mom make me clean my room? Why did God? Why do you make her make me clean my room? You know it's just going to get dirty. I'm just getting a head start. Your complaints are not against that authority. They're against the Lord. You understand, when you complain against any biblical authority, you're complaining against God, and you're trying to tell God that he has not been good to you. My boss wants me to stay late? How dare he do such things? Doesn't he understand who I am? Your complaints are not against that authority. They're against the Lord. What you're doing is you're saying, God, you have not been good to me by whatever complaint you have. This is important. All complaining, all complaining is against God. That's what that word murmur means, by the way. Do you know that word murmur is used eight times in this chapter? Eight times. It's going to be used another 22 times throughout the wilderness wanderings. Just a bunch of complaining people. No wonder it says Moses is the, the meekest man of all of the earth. To deal with two and a half million complaining people. Just big babies crying over every little thing that doesn't go their way. Instead of praying. By the way, that's what you're supposed to do. None of them took the time to pray. It's much easier to complain, obviously. Than actually talk to the one who could do something about it. Moses dealt with these complaining people for two and a half million people. That's why I subtitled this whole series, The Blessings of Leadership. People say, I want to be in charge. Help yourself. Because you know who you're in charge of? Complainers. All the time. Now, you guys don't do this, but in other churches, pastor. Why'd you wear that tie? You don't you understand that tie's just there's always someone who can find something to complain about. You know, we're gonna have a vote. That's the worst thing. 
on carpet. What color carpet should we have? You're not going to please anybody and you're going to split the church. You're going to have the blue carpet people go to a different church and the brown carpet people stay here. It's horrible. And somebody says, I want to be in charge. Good luck. Have at it. Bunch of complaining people who are never going to be happy. That's what, he had two and a half million of them trying to keep them aligned, keep them going, complaining all the time. But someone brings up the question, why did God take the complaining so personally? Because when you complain, you are saying God has not been good to me. And that is a lie. That is opposite of God's character. Opposite. We heard once of a, of a bitter old lady who used to, <coughs> when uh, people used to want to go visit a church, you know, she'd go, let me tell you everything wrong with my church. And none of all the stuff that's wrong with the pastor, with the air conditioner, with this, with that, and that. And then she turned around, hey, you want to come to church? No! Why do I want to go to church that you hate going to? Why do I want to go after hearing all that list of complaints? Why would anybody want it? Why are you going? But people do that. I mean, think about people who sit down and complain about how horrible something is, and then you turn around and ask, hey, you want to come with me? Why? I mean, complaining draw, pushes people away. You start talking about, I don't have enough money and God doesn't take care of me and I'm going to starve and die. God hasn't given me the brand new truck that I wanted to have. He just gave me this other thing that I, I drive and it, it doesn't fall apart. But I want the new thing and how come God won't take care of this? And then you say, hey, by the way, you want to know Christ as your Savior? Is that your God? Yeah? No. If we complain all the time, why would anybody want to go know our God more? If we think our God is so horrible, why in the world should they listen to us talk about our God? You understand how horrible complaining is? Complaining is against God's character. It is lying. It is gossiping against who God truly is. And it's putting a bad image in other people's mind about our God. Now, they don't want to trust our God. You know, Christians should be the most hopeful people there are. You know what? I'm trusting God that he's going to fill my cabinets. I don't know how, but God is going to do it. Someone will say, I want to know that God. Hey, you know what? <laughs> Things may not be working uh, out the way that I plan to, but you know what? God loves me enough. He's allowed these challenges here because he wants to teach me something. Well, I want to know that God. A God who, a hopeful God. A God that we could trust that is taking care of us even if it doesn't happen the way that we think it should happen. You know what? My God is still good and he's still right. And I don't know what's going on, but he does and I could trust him. Amen. People watch that. They watch us as we come in from work and go, oh, oh, what happened to you? Well, just so horrible. Oh. They look at us and they listen to us talk about church and then they look at how we respond. They look at how we respond to authority. They look at how we respond to the news. They look at how we, and they look at us and they say, hey, you have the same reactions we do. Your God's no different than us. 
there should be something different about how we speak, how we work, how we uh, don't complain, our enthusiasm, our encouragement. It doesn't mean you put a smile on your face every day, but it does mean there's a peace that passeth all understanding. That you know what? I know things are horrible right now, but God is still good. And God is still right. I can trust him. Hey, I know that I've been having some bad things and I may be having some health problems, but you know what? God's still good. And God's still right. I haven't given this testimony in a while, so forgive me for giving a personal testimony. But um, one of my jobs, as soon as I got out of the military, is I worked for... um, (coughs) a company where we drew blood and we work for retirement homes. And in Phoenix, there are 250 different retirement homes all throughout the uh, valley. And so we would start at 2 o'clock in the morning and we would go and get blood from actually uh, show up to the facilities, draw blood, go to the next facility, draw blood, and we would do this all the way up to about 11 o'clock in the morning. So we're trying to get it in before the doctors get in there. They can get the results and everything else. And so at 2 o'clock in the morning, I don't know how happy you are, especially after I'm still an assistant to the pastor, so I'm still teaching a retirement. So Saturday went like this. Saturday morning, we had soul winning. And then in the afternoon at 2 o'clock, we had retirement home. And then my pastor from time to time on Saturday nights had a prayer meeting. And then on Sunday, I had to be there at uh, 6.30 in the morning for men's prayer meeting. And then I would go back and go get my family. (laughs) And then Sunday school. And then Sunday services. And then (laughs) we would do stuff in the afternoon. And then we'd have evening services. Sounds kind of normal. And then like many of you, my job started at 2 o'clock in the morning. After a busy day. And, you know, so we understand night shift workers. Right, Max? And um, so at 2 o'clock in the morning... The normal reaction is the zombie. Kind of like some of you look from time to time we work night shift, right? But (coughs) because I want to give a good testimony and because we want to try to be a blessing. And one of the uh, people that specifically was watching me was a male nurse. And he was a floater, so he'd go to facility to facility whenever they needed a substitute. And the first thing he would look at me and said, how are you doing? And my response was, I'm blessed. Man, they just confused him. How in the world can someone be happy and blessed at 2 o'clock in the morning? That's just not right. People are not supposed to be happy and blessed at 2 in the morning. I mean, after you have coffee, maybe by noon, possibly, maybe. But 2 o'clock in the morning, and he would watch me. And it would just confuse him, and he would ask questions. Like, how can you be so happy? Why are you blessed? What's wrong with you? And this went on for months. Finally, we had Brother Summerdorf at our church, and I tried to invite him to come and uh, said, Brother Summerdorf's coming. He does a great thing on the home, and I know that you're married, and you know, you could always have a stronger marriage. Just come. And me and my wife, we're fine. No, no, no. Well, at the end of the revival service, Brother Summerdorf left, and the guy came and said, Hey, are you still having that revival with uh, the home? I said, Well, it was last week. He says, Oh, well, my wife and I were kind of having some problems right now, and so we could use some help. Well, I would love to talk to you. Uh, can I make an appointment for you later on today? It's, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning. Sure, I can have it later on the day. Who needs sleep? And uh, sure, so he set the appointment, and um, I called my wife, and I said, pray, pray. I want to see this person led to the Lord. 
Well, come about 7 o'clock in the morning, he calls and says, you know what? You might as well just cancel it. My wife has her bags packed and they're sitting at the door and we're done. Uh, don't even bother. She says there's no hope. I said, well, let's keep the appointment. And let me come anyways. I'm bringing my pastor and let us go. He says, all right, fine. Well, it was a dark and stormy night at Phoenix as we came by. Uh, storms coming in. The bags, sure enough, are packed right by the door. And we come in and we start talking to him. And his wife got curious and she came down and began to uh, get curious. And so we sat them both down open up the Bible and show them from the Bible how they can know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And they bowed their head that day, accepted Christ, and their marriage was saved. Now, it wasn't instantly fixed, but, you know, there were some times where he would call me and said, hey, I need some help. Uh, my wife and I got an argument, and we were driving in the car, and she told me uh, to stop and get over. I'm getting out. And I said no, so she jumped out of the car anyways, and at 50 miles an hour, and uh, you know, so there were some issues to work through and he had some issues where as a male nurse, instead of giving the patients the drugs, he would take them himself and whatnot. But you know what? We put him in a place where he got help for his drug addictions. And wouldn't you know, he's going around the country today telling people his testimony and his testimony starts like this. It started with a man who would show up at two in the clock in the morning and say, I'm blessed. And he would give his testimony. You understand, people are watching you. And if you say that you're a Christian, they're watching you more. Because they want to see if your God is real or if it's some pretend thing that you just kind of use from time to time. People are tired of hearing about Christians. They want to meet one. And remember, belief affects behavior. Is your God good? Then prove it. How? By how you speak and how you behave. Because every time we complain, what we're doing is we're saying, God has not been good to me. This is the danger of complaining. This is why God takes it personally. In fact, if you were to look at the Bible and look at the thing that God killed people most for, complaining would be number one. God takes complaining personally. Because... It says that God has not been good. And let me tell you, God has always been good. Our complaining attacks the character of God. So, God decides he's going to bring this manna to come. Which brings me to the second thing. The first of all, the principle of murmuring. The second thing, which is going to be the helpful thing, the prevention of of murmuring. How do we prevent ourselves from murmuring? We can't do anything about anyone else. How do you prevent yourself from complaining? Well, this sounds like it'll be helpful, right? How do we prevent ourselves from complaining? Well, the first thing is to realize that God desires to provide. God desires to provide. Now, God told him that he was going to rain down manna, this bread from heaven, Every morning. You know that this is not in response to their complaints. But instead he had this in mind the whole time. He always had planned on providing for them this way. He did not provide the manna because they complained. He actually had it in mind and yet they complained. If they would have just turned their complaints to prayer and say, God, 
we're running out of food. Can you help us out? He says, you know what? Let me tell you what I'm planning on doing. And he did. Now, what was this? Manna was this bread that would come from the sky or come and be on the ground in the morning. I can imagine the very first morning when it looks like snow out in the middle of the desert and someone goes by and picks up this little wafer and says, what in the world? And you know that someone did this. Hey, man, I dare you to taste it. They're looking at it like, you know, you taste it. You t- well, what is this? I mean, you see something on the ground, the first instincts to put in your mouth, right? All right. So the guy tasted it. and Oh, man, this is good. What does it taste like? I don't know. The best I could tell you is like a wafer with honey. It's, it's amazing. I've never tasted anything like this. It, 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 I don't know what to call it. Just call it manna. But they started picking it up. And God had given instructions that every day they were supposed to collect enough for each person in their family to eat. So if you have a teenager that eats a lot, you gather a lot. If you have someone that's petite and's always eating salads, well, then you get enough for them to survive for that day. And just enough for their eatings. And the Bible says, for those that collected a lot, they didn't have any left over. And for those that collected a little, they had enough. But you collected enough for your eating. And you were supposed to eat everything and you wasn't supposed to worry about it for the next day. Don't leave any overnight. Don't stash any of your pockets that God was provide for you daily. You don't have to worry about stashing it. Well, remember what God said. I'm going to do this to prove them to see if they're willing to obey me. You know, obeying goes quite a far about do you trust God or not? And so God allowed them to collect. And some people left some for overnight. And what happened when they checked on it, it was rotten and smelly and worms were all over it and go, oh man, I don't eat that. And God said, see, I told you just to collect enough. And so they got used to collecting it and collected and collected and collected. And God is going to do this for the next 40 years. There was no reason for them to complain because God wanted to provide for them. He wanted to care for them. Do you know what God needs? God needs to be needed. God needs to be needed. And so God says, you're my people. You need me. Depend on me. I will supply for you every day. Every day I will take care of you. So what is the first way that we could stop complaining or prevent complaining? Is to realize that God wants to provide for us. In fact, that should turn you to by faith. Instead of looking at your bill and saying, God, how am I going to pay this? It's the end of the world. Say, you know what? I have a God who wants to provide for me. God, can you take care of this for me? Now, we understand we're not making light of it. It's serious to pay your bills. But we don't have to frantically lose sleep over it, pull out hair and kick the cat and you know, destroy furniture and everything just because we got a bill. By the way, we all know people who freak out because they get a bill. And it's the end of the world for them. And they haven't died yet. God knows how to take care of us. God knows how to provide. God wants to provide for us. Your shoes start wearing out and they start hurting and you're limping. You know that God wants to provide. God, can you provide shoes? 
Some people are still reading the uh, book uh, from John R. Rice of prayer, Answering and Receiving. And Dr. Rice was a traveling evangelist and he had a broken down old jalopy that, you know, just having problems. And he uh, finally got to the place where he wore it out and it wasn't going to make it anymore. So he started to uh, make it further. And so he said, all right, God, I need to have another car. Just God supply. And he got to the next church and they said, Dr. Rice, we uh, saved some money and we wanted to buy you a car. We wanted to be a blessing. And so they gave him a car and it probably wasn't the nicest car, but it was a car. He said, man, I couldn't enjoy that. You know why I couldn't enjoy it? Because I could have asked for it sooner and had it sooner instead of kicking the other car and making it go further. And you know what? I had a hard time enjoying it because I could have asked God for something better. I just said for a cheap replacement. I should have asked for something better. Because my God is able to provide. God wants to provide for you. Now we're not telling you that you're going to go pray for a red Lamborghini and then it's going to arrive tomorrow. Well, it's not what we're talking about. But we do know that God wants to give good gifts to our, his children. Just like my children. Because I love them. If they ask for me something reasonable, even if it's a want, if I'm able to do it to please them, I'm going to do it. Because I want to. We have a God who loves us and he wants to give us good gifts. He wants to supply for us. He just wants us to ask. But we're so quick to complain because we don't have something and we could have asked. So the first way to prevent murmuring is to realize that God wants to provide. The second thing that we understand, how do we keep from complaining? Is understand that God deserves to be worshipped. Understand that God deserves to be worshipped. Notice as we pick it up in verse number 22. And it came to pass that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread. Two omers for one man and all the rulers of the congregation and came and told Moses. And he said unto them, this is that which the Lord had said. Tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which you will bake today and seethe what you will seethe. And that which remaineth over lay up for you to be kept into the morning. Alright, so... The first several days, God said, all right, just collect enough for one day. Don't collect any more. And anyone who collected more, it just rotten and spoiled. He said, on the sixth day, you collect enough for two days. And you make enough for you that you're going to need for two days and do that. And God says, I'm going to make it so it doesn't spoil. You take care of it because I want you to take the seventh day and I want you to take it as a rest. We'll define that in a second. Verse number 24, and they laid up until the morning and as Moses bed, and it did not stink, neither was there any worm therein. So this time things were still left and you had enough for the next day. And Moses said, eat that today for today is a Sabbath unto the Lord. Today you shall not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is in the Sabbath, in it shall be none. And it came to pass, in verse number 27, and it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day to gather, and they found none. Verse number 27 in its context, especially with verse number 28, carries the idea that these people went out, they did not do what they were told, and so they went out the next day hoping to find it, and there was nothing. And the indication here is that they complained because they did not find any. Where's mine? I came out and I expected God to provide for me. And God did provide for me. Why God? Why? And now notice in verse 28. And the Lord said unto Moses. How 
long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws. Do you know why they didn't find anything the seventh day? It was not because God was not good. It was because they didn't obey God. You know how you say, how does this tie in? Well, our worship of God dictates our actions. Why did some of the people not have to gather on the Sabbath day? Because they obeyed God. Why did they obey God? Because they trusted his character. Because they trusted God, they did what God said, and God, they had enough for that seventh day. But you had some people who did not trust God's word. They did not worship him. Remember, our worship dictates our actions. Our worship dictates our behavior. What is our worship, by the way? Let's define that term. It's not singing and putting our hands to God, even though that can be part of it. Worship comes from an old English word of worth-ship. How much do you value God? How much do you value? So if I had, and I don't, if I had a $20 bill and I had a $1 bill, they both have the same shape. They made the same weight. What makes one worth more than the other? The value that I ascribe to that 20 makes it worth more. When we worship God, it's how much value we ascribe to God. What is he worth to me? Well, because he's worth a lot, I obey him. If he is not worth a lot, then I don't obey him. You understand, worship goes into the idea of worthship. How much do you value God? How much do you trust God? How much do you believe God? If you truly believe that God is trustworthy, if he is who he said he is, you will obey him. If you don't think that God is trustworthy or not valuable, not good enough, then you don't obey him. And when you don't obey him, you miss out the things that he wanted to do for you. When you do obey him, you have God's provision. So the people on the seventh day, Sabbath day, they complained. But they were not right in complaining. What they're doing is saying, God is not good. God didn't provide my needs. Now I'm going to go hungry. It's not God's fault. God provided and they would not obey. And they missed out on God's provision because of their disobedience. Their disobedience comes from their lack of worship to God. Remember, why is the seventh day so important to God? Is that so we could sit down and watch football? The day was set aside so we wouldn't have any distractions from worshiping Him. From acknowledging Him. Why didn't God want them to gather up? Because he didn't want them to worry about food and clothing and needs. He wanted that all to be cleared up so they could put their full attention on God. That's the idea of the Sabbath. To have a day where we're not worrying about the things of the world. We're not worrying about the needs. We're not worrying about this and that. I can take a day where my attention's on him. How many days on the Lord's day do we have so many things on our mind that we're sitting in the pew, we're here physically, but we miss anything the preacher says. We hear the mwah, 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 Even if you hear that, you have the imagination running and you're thinking about everything else. 
And you're missing out on who God is. And God was trying to provide something for you. Because when you recognize who God is, you obey him. As you obey him, you'll get the provisions that he wanted for you. But instead, because you're so worried about everything else and you didn't set him aside, you missed that what God was trying to tell you about him. You missed how you were supposed to respond and you missed God's provision and then when you didn't have it, you turn around and say, God, how come you didn't take care of this? You're not good to me. And God says, I was, but you missed it. It's not my fault. Was it God's fault that those people did not have bread on that seventh day? No. It was their fault. God was good to them. They missed God's goodness because of their lack of worthship to him. So how do we prevent murmuring? Number one, realize that God wants to provide for us. How do we prevent murmuring? Number two, understand that God deserves to be worshipped. God deserves to be worshipped. And when we worship God, we will not miss what God wants to provide for us. But number three, and this is big. Number three, how do we prevent murmuring? How do we prevent complaining? Remember what God has done for us. Remember what God has done for us. Notice with me, if you don't mind, verse 31. And the house of Israel called the name thereof manna, and it was like a corridor seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord commandeth. Fill an omer of it to be kept for your generation, that they may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness. <laughs> when I brought you forth from the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a pot and put an omer full of manna therein and lay it before the Lord and be kept for your generations. And as the Lord commanded Moses, so Moses laid up before the testimony, this is going to be the Ark of the Covenant, to be kept. And the children of Israel did eat manna for 40 years until they came to the land inhabited. And they did eat manna until they came to the borders of the land of Canaan. So God provided for them for 40 years, but notice what he had him do. He had him take a portion of manna, and he had it when the Ark of the Covenant was built, put it inside of the Ark of Covenant. Why? So that way they would always have evidence of God's provision. What we see here is that we need to remember what God has done for us. How do we get these reminders? This is why we keep prayer journals. When you have a prayer journal that lists your prayer request when you made it, and then you have a space of when it was fulfilled, you can look back and say, look, God answered this prayer, and 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 this prayer. When we have a record of what God has done for us, it helps us not to complain because we look, how can I complain after God has been so good to me? He's provided for me here. He's going to provide for me later. By the way, this is why as we have the theme for this year, with God all things are possible, that we have a prayer jug in the back. and We have pieces of paper and we've encouraged people that when they get these major answers to prayer to fill them out, put them on the paper, put them in the back and on our watch night service we're going to read them out loud. Why? We want to see all the ways that God was good to us this year. And if there's any year that we need to be reminded that God is still good to us it is this year. We need that constant reminder that God is still good and God is still right. Because all of this year, 2020 screams, everything is wrong and everything is horrible. 
And we get caught up with it. We all get caught up with it. A couple of you quit Facebook and YouTube. Why? Because we can't handle this year. You keep looking at it and we start getting ourselves that God is not good. God's not right. Everything's falling apart. And it disturbs our spirit. This is a year where we need that prayer journal. We look back. Look, God has been good to us. God has taken care of us. God has answered prayer. God wants to provide for us. We need that written record of God's provision. We have to have it. Because if we don't have something to look back to, it's easy for us to slip back and say, God hasn't been good. And God's not right. How do we prevent murmuring and complaining? Remember, what is murmuring and complaining? What it is ultimately is saying that God has not been good to me. But God has always been good. So how do we prevent it? What we do is that first of all, we understand that God wants to provide for us. Second of all, we understand that God deserves to be worshipped. But third of all, we, <laughs> we remember what God has done for us. And a practical way of doing that is a prayer journal. To have a written record of all the answers to prayer. And that will keep you praying rather than complaining. To be able to take every little tiny thing to the Lord. And every big huge thing to the Lord. Knowing that God is still good. And that God is still right. And so as we close out. Let me ask you your question. It's midweek. Think back from Sunday. How is your complaining? How is your speech? How is your Facebook post? How is the people you're talking with? How is your conversation on the phone? Has it been filled with complaints? Has it been filled with a boo-hoos? Has it been filled with all the things that are not right? Or has your conversation been filtered with has it been showing other people who listen to your conversation, their God is real? Let me tell you, we all get to the place in seasons, unfortunately, where we're complaining people. It doesn't have to be. Maybe if you're in the habit of complaining, what you need to do is come to the Lord and say, God, help me with this. Help me to say every, with all of my speech to say that you're always good and that you're always right. You know, you could develop the habit of complaining and not even realize you do that. We need to go to God and say, God, I need help with this. And God will because he wants to provide for you. He wants to give you grace. Maybe some of you are not in the habit of keeping a prayer journal. Let me tell you, one of the greatest things you could do for your own personal prayer life is to keep a prayer journal. If you don't know how, let me or my wife know. We'd be glad to instruct you. But those things are wonderful and helpful. Maybe you have a prayer journal, but you haven't touched it in a while. Open it back up, dust it off. It will be a help to you because God is always good and God is always right. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness 
of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.